today is going to be a little bit different uh, as far as the structure of uh, the message. Typically, the structure of the message, uh, I'll find a, a passage and uh, we'll just study that passage and try to pull out as many truths or nuggets of wisdom as we can find in that passage. Today is going to be different. Today, I'm going to share a narrative, okay? Uh, and it's going to take up about 98% of my message. And then for the last maybe three or four minutes, I'm going to share two takeaways, two challenges that we can hang on to. Um, but the narrative is about the last seven days that Jesus lived. Um, now, in order to, if you have opened up your Bibles or if you're, you've turned to the book of Daniel, I'm going to get to there in just a minute. But um, in order to unpack this narrative properly, I need to go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Okay, now I'm going to talk about the last seven days of Jesus' life. But we have to start in Exodus. Everybody say Exodus. Look at the person next to you and say, you look hot. If you're single here, keep on coming. You won't be single long. We will get you hooked up. We got to go back to the book of Exodus because it was in the book of Exodus where God's children, the Israelites, they were slaves to a man named Pharaoh and to a nation called Egypt. They were slaves. And God backed up and he said, enough is enough. I have heard my children cry out to me. And when the children of God cry out to the Lord, God begins to move on their behalf. That's why I appreciated your sermon, Pastor. You preached on prayer. It was phenomenal. Prayer changes the tide of the battle that you're in. Psalms 56, 9, the New Living, New Living Bible translation, it changes the tide. Every time you're in your house, you're doing the laundry, you think of something stressful, pray. You just pray 10 seconds, 2 seconds, 40 seconds, 2 hours. You can't pray too much. I like what Pastor Bettinger said. He said, if you don't like praying, keep on praying till you like it. <laughs> that was fantastic. Keep on praying till you like it. It's like eating vegetables. It's the best thing in the world for you. Shove it down your mouth. You know what I've learned? Uh, boy, I'm all over the place this morning. I'm going to try to control myself. But you know what I've learned about uh, our appetites? That what you eat most, you crave. So if you eat Whataburger for like a week straight and then you stop and all of a sudden you get hungry, you're going to crave Whataburger. But if you eat salads a lot and you get hungry and you get hungry, guess what? You're going to crave a salad. You crave your appetite. When your spiritual body is praying a lot and then it stops, you will crave that because that's your diet. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. The less you pray, the less you want to pray. And so that's just, that's just free. Okay, so in the book of Exodus, 
In the book of Exodus, precept upon precept, right? In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel crying out to the Lord. God says, I am coming for you. I'm going to send a man named Moses. Moses shows up and he says, if you don't let God's people go, this is going to happen. They ignored him. Ten plagues took place. Frogs were everywhere. The river Nile turned to blood. Ten plagues. And then finally, the tenth plague was the coup d'etat. He said, because you haven't, Let God's children go. Tonight, in the middle of the night, there's going to be a death angel. And that death angel is going to come and kill the firstborn of every single family in Egypt. And he walked out of Pharaoh's courts and he gathered up all of the Israelites. And he said, the only way that death angel is not going to come into your house and kill your firstborn is if you worship the Lord and you make this sacrifice with a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over your doorpost. See, we don't have to do that these days because our lamb is Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood on the cross, that blood is what is on us and our household. He is such a wonderful savior. But in those days, it was before Jesus died. And so there had to be a sacrifice for the sins of those people. And so he said, take the blood and put it over your doorpost. And what will happen when that angel shows up? And he's going through the streets of Egypt from one house to the next. He's going to draw his sword and he's going to take the firstborn. But every time he comes up to a house and it's got blood over the doorpost, he's going to pass over that house. And that event was called the Passover for the Jews. And every year at the same time, they would celebrate the Passover. It was a seven-day festival where they thanked the Lord for pulling them out of slavery, and they thanked the Lord for allowing judgment to pass over their house. And so now, fast forward, because that happened in 1300 B.C., 1300 years before Jesus was born. Now, fast forward to 1333, okay? Fast forward. Here, Jesus is standing outside with his disciples, and he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem. Now, he's going to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But before that happens, there's this serious political event going on. See, whenever there was the Passover, all of Jerusalem would be bombarded by all of these Jews from all over the place coming to Jerusalem. Typically, there was 40,000 people who lived in Jerusalem. But during the Passover, 80,000 people, 180,000, 180,000 people would start pouring into Jerusalem from all over the region. It was crazy. Now... The government of Jerusalem was Rome. And Rome, they did not care about God, the Messiah. They didn't care at all. They said, Jews, if you want to worship God, knock yourself out. We don't care what you do. You just better pay your taxes and don't cause a problem. They, did, they weren't religious. In fact, they were anti-religious. They just did not believe in God at all. But Jews, if you want to believe in God, knock yourself out. 
but don't cause a problem. Now, all of a sudden, their Jerusalem is going to go from 40,000 people to 180,000 people. So now security, the police, it's on high alert. All of the Roman soldiers, nobody gets the week off. Nobody. They are out because all of these Jews, they don't want any protests. They don't want anyone making a scene. They want everyone to be civil. They don't want all these Jews coming to town and and trying to make a big stand against the government. And so they got all of the Roman soldiers out. They got everyone. It's on high alert. It's kind of like the rodeo. All right, so we got 4 million people in the city of Houston, approximately, give or take. During the rodeo, we got like 50 million people. It just, people just pour in. How many people saw people riding horses on the highway going to the rodeo? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about so people don't think I'm crazy. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It, riding horses in the year 2016 downtown. Yeah, down I-10. Thing bowls. Are you kidding me? So people just pour in for this event called the rodeo. Same thing. People pour in for the event called the Passover. Now, Rome. They have to control all these religious Jews some way, somehow. So they look for the leader of all the Jews. And they said, we got to talk to that leader. That leader's name was Caiaphas. Now, Christians in America don't have a leader. Uh, But if we did, let's just make one up just so I can make my point. Let's say Billy Graham was the leader of all the Christians. We all, it's kind of like the Pope for example, the Pope for Catholics, that's that's another one. But let's just say Billy Graham, okay? He's like our leader. And uh, the president says, look, it's Easter, Easter's coming up, and every Easter, all the Christians start going crazy, they, they all go to church, they all dress up, they all take pictures. Billy Graham, you're in charge of those people. If they start causing a ruckus, and our police are in the streets and they're causing riots. Billy, it's, it feels weird calling him Billy, doesn't it? <laughs> Billy, <laughs> we're coming after you. So what Billy Graham does is he's like, okay, wow, there's, there's a lot of Christians. I'm going to build a council. And I'm going to have 70 people on this council. And together, we are going to control or try to mandate these Christians to be good. And that's exactly what they did. So Rome picked out a guy named Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. Now Caiaphas built a, a, a civic circle. He built a, a, a committee called the Sanhedrin. Now half of the Sanhedrin were Pharisees. The other half of the Sanhedrin was Sadducees. It's kind of like Democrats, Republicans. All right, and, and they would like wrestle with each other. And, and the high priests would come in and they would establish laws. And now Jesus, he didn't like them. He didn't like them at all. I'm going to get up to, I'm going I'm to come back to that in just a second. So, so Caiaphas tells the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, look, I, everyone's on high alert. If something goes down, we got to shut it down. Otherwise, Rome is going to come after me. Now, 
the, Rome, uh, the Roman soldiers, they're looking at Caiaphas. Control your people. He's like, I got it. I got it. But this is a big deal. 180,000 people are pouring in. And so it was a big job for Caiaphas, but he was compensated very well. In fact, archaeologists did some digging, and they found out that that little rascal, um, Caiaphas, he and the rest of his Sanhedrin, they, they, they found out that he lived lives of luxury with large and lavishly decorated houses. So you keep Rome happy, Rome takes care of you. Now, if Rome gets mad, oh, Rome is going to really get after you. So Caiaphas is all about keeping Jerusalem, just worship our God, but don't cause a problem. So now, here comes Jesus. I love Jesus so much. I don't know that this is true, but I think Jesus walked like this. That's what I think. I, I don't know. So, so Jesus shows up. Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, they don't like Jesus. The reason why they don't like Jesus is people are flocking to him. They're not going to the temple and listening to the high priest anymore. There's nobody there on Sunday. Cricket, 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 cricket. It's like, hello, hello. Where are all the people? They're all down the road by the thousands, five, ten thousand people all following Jesus. They don't like that. The high priest is like, why are they over there with Jesus and not with us? And, and one of the Pharisees said back, well, he's got a fish fry going on over there. <laughs> he just fed over 5,000 people, just fed them all fish. And, and we got squat. We got nothing over here except a bunch of laws that they can't follow. And, and so that guy got kicked out of the, 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 you're out, you're out of here. Give me somebody with a better idea. And so they're mad at Jesus. Thousands of people are following Jesus. And Jesus is working miracles like crazy. Pulling people out of the grave, pulling Lazarus out of the grave. Blind eyes are being healed. So, so, the, so the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, that's kind of like Congress, Sanhedrin, they're like, we're going to kill this guy. But Jesus was very hard to kill because he didn't stay in one place long. If you ever get a map, you look at the Sea of Galilee, and that was his mission field. He never stayed anywhere long. That's why he, the Bible says he crossed to the other side. He crossed the other side. He kept on going back and forth across this sea. So he'd stay at one place for a little while, and then he'd go to another place. And then he'd stay at one place, another one, and he'd go to another place. So they couldn't catch him. Jerusalem was the hub. It was like the city. So Jerusalem is like Houston. And then he'd go to Spring, and he'd go to Magnolia, and go to Tomball, have some chicken fried steak. And then he'd go to the Woodlands, and then he'd go to, to Sugar Creek. or what. He, he couldn't keep moving. And so they hated him. They couldn't stand him, but they couldn't catch him either. But they knew that Jesus was going to come to town to Jerusalem for the Passover because everybody did. So now they're like, okay, 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 here we go. We got to pay attention. So here comes Jesus. He's coming to Jerusalem. Now he knows when I come to Jerusalem, these guys have been looking for me for three years. 
when they see me, they're going to want to arrest me, and they are going to want to uh, throw me in jail. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. He knows that. In fact, when he told the disciples, let's go to Jerusalem, Thomas said, yeah, let's go die with Jesus. And so, uh, so he goes down, and, and the, the disciples are going with him. They go down. They come walking in. Now, when Jesus comes walking into Jerusalem, he comes in, and he's like, okay, I, when I come, I, I don't want anyone to know I'm coming. The problem is, is that he's famous. He's been healing people for three years. The minute he starts walking into Jerusalem, people go crazy. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Ah! And they start grabbing palm trees and waving it and start calling him the king of kings. They start calling him the, their, their Lord, the king of the Jews. They start worshiping him. This is the only time in the entire Bible where Jesus allowed people to treat him like a king. For one day, they get to do it. One day. And so he comes walking in, and people are cheering. Now, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, they are ticked off. The place is going crazy. Rome is going, what is going on? What is going on? They don't care about religion. They don't even care about Jesus. They just want peace. They're like, they're like the FBI. They're like the police. So they look at Caiaphas. Caiaphas looks at the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They don't know what to do. They're in a panic. What they want to do is to pull Jesus off that donkey and arrest him. But if they do that, the crowd will go nuts. So they're stuck. So they say to him, hey, Jesus. This is all in the Bible, in the book of Luke. Jesus, tell them to stop worshiping you. And he's like, no. They, uh, they want. And so he keeps on riding. They are livid. They are mad. Now watch this. Jesus gets off his donkey. They're worshiping him. He starts walking up to the temple. Jesus starts walking up to the temple. It's the Passover. And he walks up and he begins to see something. And he goes ballistic about this. Let's just take a quick sidebar. There's hundreds of thousands of people that go to the rodeo. Hundreds of thousands. Let's say you and I just decide, hey, there's a lot of people going to the rodeo. Let's go down there and sell some belt buckles. Right? Let's go down there and sell some turkey legs. Let's go down there. And now, are we going to sell turkey legs and belt buckles up here? We're going to go right in the middle of it and sell because that's where the money's at, which is fine. It's called America. It's America. <laughs> take the A out. It's America. That, that's, a, that's America. It's fine. But here's the problem. When Caiaphas, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they see 180,000 people pouring into the table... They're all there to make a sacrifice to celebrate the Passover. They're like, hold on a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We, we got an opportunity to make some money here. They all need sheep. And the people that can't afford sheep, the poor people, they're going to buy pigeons. 
And so what we're going to do, let's sell this stuff right in the middle of the temple. That would be like me thinking to myself, hey, we've got hundreds of people coming to Celebration Church. How about this? Right in the lobby, and I said, we're going to open up a business. We're going to sell turkey legs right in the middle of the lobby. They're all here. We're going to make some money. And I say, hey, you want to sell popcorn? Go sell popcorn. You want to sell, you know, Nutty Buddy? Go sell Nutty Buddy. And we, we turn it into like a food fair, except we're not doing it in the lobby. We're doing it in the sanctuary, too. Cold beer! Cold beer! <laughs> Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. All right. So that's what's happening. Jesus walks up to the temple and he sees what's happening and he is on fire. Now take a look at this. There in the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and pigeons, and also the money changers sitting at their tables. out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins. So Jesus is ticked. He starts flipping tables over. He's saying, not in the house of God. Not in my Father's house. My house shall be a house of prayer. So he is livid. Now, the Romans, the police, they, this is what they were afraid of. They were afraid that the Jews were going to come to town and there was going to be some kind of a riot there was going to be some type of public protest, and things were going to get out of hand. This is exactly what they were afraid of. So now Caiaphas, they're all looking at Caiaphas. The Romans, they're looking at Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is looking at the Sanhedrin. They're all looking at each other. They don't know what to do. So they get together and they're like, enough is enough. Caiaphas, the religious leaders, they're saying enough is enough. We can't control this guy. He won't listen to us. More people are following him than us. Miracles are happening. He's causing the, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. This has got to stop, but it's got to stop now. But they're stuck. They can't do anything in public. They're in trouble. All of a sudden, something wild happens. Unbelievable. Something beyond their imagination. Da ding da ding. 
Hello? Watch this. Judas knocks on the door. The Bible says that Judas came to them. They open up the door, the high priest, the Sadducees, they open up the door. They recognize Judas, and Judas says, I'm going to give you Jesus. Now, let me just take a quick sidebar. I don't know what caused Judas to want to betray Jesus. We won't know until we get to heaven. If I had to take a few stabs, maybe it was something about the money that bothered him because he was over the money. And see, when you get addicted to money and money owns you, it owns your life, it owns your time. The Bible says that Judas stole from the money bag. He stole. So people would take up tithes and offerings to support Jesus in the ministry and he would steal it. So maybe it had something to do with the money. Maybe there's a term, uh, and I would encourage you to write this down. Unoffendable. Isn't that a great word? Unoffendable. Maybe he was easily offended. It's my hope that you and I could grow in the Lord to the point where we could be unoffendable. I, just imagine, Jesus has 12 disciples, and every time something special was about to happen, he would always say, hey, Peter, James, and John, come with me. Hey, Peter, James, and John, come with me. What if Judas was like me or like you? And we're like, what's up with that? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. That's baloney. What about Judas, Bartholomew, and Thomas? Wouldn't you, Peter, James, and John, come out? You are not going to believe what Jesus just did. Oh, yeah, tell me again. Every time, Jesus would do awesome things with only Peter, James, and John. And maybe, 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 I'm just wondering, doesn't hurt to wonder, maybe Judas got offended by Jesus. Know this, the Lord will offend you. He will offend you. You will, and I, as soon as we think we got God figured out, and we know exactly what he's going to do. We're going to say these three scriptures. We're going to do this. We're going to jump up and down, clap our hands, raise our hands twice, and God's going to move. And then all of a sudden we do our three scriptures. We jump up and down. We clap our hands. We raise our, And he doesn't do what we think he's going to do. And he, he will offend us. And then when we back up and we don't know what God's up to, God has a complex. He has a God complex. <laughs> he thinks he's God. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. And, and when we learn that, oftentimes it offends us. And when, when we get offended, what does offense really mean? Offense really means I deserve better than that. God will send people to offend us. Different sermon. All right, so Judas shows up and he says, I will give you Jesus. I know where he hangs out at night. He prays every single night at the same place at the same time in the Mount of Olives. The people closest to you should know when you pray. They should know when you pray. They should know where you pray. When you pray, where you pray. Everybody should have a time and a place, a time and a place, a time and a place. 
When you pray, where you pray. He says, I know when and where Jesus prays. He says, if you take Jesus during the daytime, the crowd is going to go nuts. We got to get him at night. So watch this. Jesus is in the Mount of Olives. Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, they're preachers. They don't have any muscle. Look at me. We don't have any muscle. So what we do is they called up Rome and said, Rome, I know you're worried about the riot. I know you're worried about what Jesus did in the temple. Don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it, but we need some soldiers. We need some some firepower. We need some men. We need some thugs. Rome gives them some thugs. The Sanhedrin, the high priest, they're following Judas into the Mount of Olives in the middle of the night. Jesus is in there praying. They've got soldiers with them. Who's after Jesus? The Sanhedrin, the preachers, the teachers of the law. They come walking in. They sneak up on Jesus. Now, Jesus is so cool. Jesus is praying. He sees them coming. And he goes, who are you looking for? The Bible says the moment he said that, all of them, boom, they fall down. All of them, bam, they all fall down. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but just for those of you that do, uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't need to know what I'm talking about. This is just free. This is just a sidebar chasing a bunny free. There's only two times in the Bible where people fall out under the presence of God. Two. Number one is when Jesus stood up and he said, what are you looking for? And rebuked these people and they all fell down. The second one was a rebuke as well. A guy named Saul was riding on a horse on the road to Damascus, chasing Christians, and God went, what are you doing? Boom. It's only two times and both of them were a rebuke. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. It's awkward in here. Okay, anyway, moving right along. I think I just ticked off about half of this room. All right. Anyway, so, so Jesus stands up, and he, he looks at him, and he goes, okay, okay, uh, get up. And so they all stand up, and now they're going to arrest him. But they got a guy named Peter in the group. Now, Peter's not having it. He's not having it. He hasn't been saved that long, okay? Has someone ever made you mad, and you're like, I haven't been saved that long. I will mess up and, and grab you by the throat. Have you, ever, have you ever thought that? No? Okay, good. Okay. So Peter's in the group. And Peter's like, hold up. Actually, if we want to really see what Peter did, he was sleeping. He wakes up. He sees that people are going to arrest Jesus. And he's like, hold up. Hold Pulls out a sword. The Bible says that he chopped the guy's ear off. Now, let's press pause. Do we really think, come on, pastor, help me. Do you really think Peter was aiming for his ear? Come on, we're in Texas. Let's think a little bit. Do you really think he's like, I'm going to chop that dude's ear right there? No. 
Peter pulled out his sword, and he's like, I'm going to split this dude's skull wide open and missed. Chop the guy's ear up. Bam! Falls on the ground. Blood. Ear on the floor. Soldiers are like, oh yeah, come on. Jesus is like, hold up. Peter. Are you serious? Shut up. Gosh. Three years. You're not any further along than the day I met you. Thank God for Peter, right? Anyone ever feel like you're not further along than you were three years ago? My God, we love Peter. So, so Jesus looks at Peter and like, oh my goodness. Where'd you get the sword, Peter? Put the sword away. Reaches down. Watch this. Picks up the ear. Puts it back on the guy's head. The Sanhedrin, the religious guys. No, you didn't. The Romans with the torch. Hold up. Let me get a better look at that. He put it back on his head. Goodness. It, it actually looks better than your other ear. Are you serious? So they're freaking out. And Jesus says, what are you here to do? The Bible actually says these words. Why didn't you take me when I was at the temple? He knew exactly. You didn't take me when I was at the temple because you know you couldn't. That 5,000 people that I just fed at the fish fry would have clobbered. That's why you didn't take me. at the. You're sneaking up on me in the middle of the woods because this is the only time you can get me. But he just wanted to just let them know that he knew. That's right. Amen. Right? So he said, why didn't you take me when I was at the temple? He goes, here, just do what you're here to do. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to take you. If you're okay with this, just come, come right this way. So it's in the middle of the night. They can't take them to jail. Preachers don't have jails. The Sanhedrin are priests. They don't have jails. So what they do is they take them back to Caiaphas' house. This is a kangaroo court if I've ever heard of one in my life. They take him back to Caiaphas's house. All of the Sanhedrin meets in the house. It's like Congress meeting in somebody's house to make a decision. Imagine that. That would never happen. Right? <laughs> so, so they all come together making a decision. But while they have Jesus, they've been ripping mad at him for a long time because Jesus has made them look like fools. He's been preaching against them in front of the crowd. He's been telling people. One time he was, he was about to eat a meal. And a Pharisee said, hey Jesus, you about to eat without washing your hands first? Jesus went, you're so concerned about keeping your body clean. But on the inside of you it's full of wickedness. 
I mean, he had made them look like fools so many times. One time he said, you have hidden the key. You priests over there, you've hidden the key of wisdom from these people. So they are mad. They've been mad at Jesus for years. Finally, they got him alone in the house. Boom, boom, boom. They're ganging up on him. 70 against one. Beating them up. This is on a Thursday night. They keep them in Caiaphas' basement. I've been in that basement. It's deep. It's like a well. It used to be a well, and then they put Caiaphas' home on top of it. They throw Jesus down there. The next morning, they take Jesus, and they bring him to the governor. They bring him to Pilate. Drag him in there. Now, Pilate... He knows nothing about Jesus. That's a religion. That's like me bringing, uh, who's our mayor? Greg Abbott. That's like me grabbing, no, 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 no. That's like you grabbing me and dragging me to Greg Abbott and like, this guy's a jerk. Greg's like, and? Doesn't matter. So Herod is like, okay, what did he do again? They don't have any charges against Jesus. So they start making it up. This is all in the Bible, by the way. The Bible's an awesome book. It's a bestseller. <laughs> so they say this. They say, this guy, they got to think of something that's going to really tick him off. They said, this guy has been telling people they don't have to pay taxes. And he's like, really? No, not really. He smells that. That's a lie. So they come up with another one. He's been blaspheming. They could just keep on coming up with lies. So he literally pulls Jesus into the back room. Read the book of Luke. Pulls him in the back room and goes, now, all right. Now, who are you? They're calling you the king of the Jews. Are you calling yourself that? He's like, Jesus says, my kingdom's not even of this world. Cuckoo. He walks out and he says, look, um, this, this, I don't see any fault in the guy. And the guy goes, some Sanhedrin opens his fat mouth and says, this man from Galilee. And all of a sudden, Pilate goes, whoa, time out. He's a Galilean? What's he doing here? That's like trying to try somebody in a court of Texas when they're from another nation, like Louisiana. Like... <laughs> so what would you say you would say look why are you trying him here take him to louisiana he's not even a texan bring him over there so he literally says this he's a galilean why are you bring bring him to herod and i'm like shoot dude didn't we tell you not to say anything about the galilean you're so stupid oh i'm sorry it just slipped out of my mouth oh man so they take jesus all the way to herod this is a true story by the way they take him to Herod. Herod is excited about meeting Jesus. The Bible says that he was excited about meeting him because he wanted to see him perform a miracle. So they show up with Jesus and he's like, Jesus, what's up with the black eye? The, Pharise the, the Pharisee, well, you know, he fell. 
they beat him up the night before. So Herod sees him, and he says this. He, he's, he talks to him. They start, the, the Pharisees, they start accusing him because they could tell that Herod was interested in, in what Jesus had to say. So they're trying to overwhelm him with criticism. So Herod pulls Jesus in the back room. All right, all right, you guys, you guys are crazy. Let me talk to Jesus. Like he pulls Jesus in the back room, brings Jesus back out. He goes, look, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault. You want me to sentence him to death because you can't. They can do it. They're religious people. They can ask for him to be killed, but they can't kill him. So they say, okay, bring him back to Pilate. I don't want anything to do with this. They bring him back to Pilate. Pilate shows up and goes, look, man, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. You want to kill him? What do I care? Kill him. I'm washing my hands of this deal. Washes his hands. The Sanhedrin, the high priest, thank God. Uh, by the way, we need your soldiers. We don't, we don't really know how to kill people. The soldiers, the Roman soldiers, take them, put them on the cross. Hammer him to the cross, raise him up, crucify him. And who was the ringleader behind it all? Caiaphas. Who was the ringleader behind it all? Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, his Congress. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that have been in the temple for years teaching the Old Testament Bible, the same Bible that you and I read. They crucify him. Now, I'm excited because a week from today, I get to talk about what happened three days after they crucified him, which blew their minds. But I want to share two takeaways with you real quickly before I let you go. Number one. Have you lost your first love? I pose that question for this reason right here. Caiaphas, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they knew their Bible better than I know the Bible. They knew their Bible better than you know your Bible. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they had it memorized memorized they had spent so much time around this temple church thing that somewhere along the journey they no longer even knew who God was they had been going through the motions for so long so my first question is is there anyone here that's been going through the motions for so long that your heart is no longer in love with the Lord? Second question. Are you living for anything worth dying for? You might be living for things worth living for, but worth dying for if you're a parent 
most likely you'd be willing to die for your children. Many of us would die for someone in our family. Martin Luther said this, if you've got nothing worth dying for, you've got nothing worth living for. Um, pastor Lance O'Dell, he's our generations pastor. I don't know if he's in here. Um, stand up, Pastor Lance. Anyone love Pastor Lance? This is, uh, this is his phone. It actually connects to his iPhone. Uh, because he's just cold like that. And so when, when he drives down the road, <laughs> he's, talking, he's like this. <laughs> he was telling me the story at one time, and it's got the old-fashioned ring, too. It's like, ring, ring. Uh, he's in the bank, and he's like, hello. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And they're looking, people are looking at him and laughing. He's like, yeah, hello, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, uh, Pastor Lance, I need to borrow your phone. He's like, take care of it. Like, <laughs> I want it back. So uh, I, I, I'm holding this phone because I want you to pull out your phone for a second. You don't have to turn it on. Don't check Facebook, you addicted fiends. <laughs> just hold it. Just hold it in your hand. Just, just hold your phone in your hand. The thoughts, are you living for anything worth dying for? Let me tell you what's worth dying for. Is the assignment that's on your life that Jesus protected. It was so important that he protected it by going through everything that we just talked about. Hanging on the cross, dying on the cross. It was not just so that he could forgive you of your sins and spend eternity with you. Your assignment is so important. You got your phones? Everybody got your phone? You will never again, from this day forward, have to wonder what God wants from you from this day forward. Because in your hands is your assignment. You see, all of you have tens. Some of you have one hundred. Some of you have thousands, tens, hundreds, thousands of contacts in that phone. And let me just tell you, those contacts are not just to make your life a little bit more enjoyable. Those contact, contacts are not in my phone. Do you know why your contacts are not in my phone? Because that is not my assignment. They are not my assignment. They're your assignment. What are you going to do with those relationships? Because that is your assignment. That is your assignment. That assignment is worth dying for. To arrest those relationships, to invest and then invite, invest and then invite, invest and then invite, and bring them to meet Jesus Christ. I was at a basketball gym last week. I met this guy. He's been in the woodlands for years. And on a whim, I said, do you have a church home? He's like, ah, we're kind of between churches right now. That means no. Yeah. I said, man, first thought, 
60-something churches in the woodlands. The woodlands is only 10 miles this way, 10 miles that way. It's not very big. 60-something churches in that little small circle. And this guy's been going years without anybody inviting him to church. How is that possible? Well, I'll tell you how it's possible. It's people not doing their assignment. I want to challenge you. I'm challenging myself. Jesus wants you to be blessed while you're here on this earth. But he does not want you to be so consumed with your blessings that you discard your assignment. None of us, maybe one or two, but none of us will be remembered by our great, great, great grandchildren. Raise your hand if you know your great, great, great grandmother's name. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six out of a few hundred people. If I add one more greats, that, those hands go down too, unless you went to familysomething.com. <laughs> Our life is like a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes, gone. Every single good thing you have, every tangible thing, you're giving it to someone else in about 40 years. It's all going away. The only thing that's worth dying for is the assignment that's on your life. And that assignment is inside your cell phone.